Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Dominique Maddy, a writer, editor, and cool mom based in Philly. Her work centralizes healing from personal and societal trauma. Dominique, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And just so our listeners know, Dominique just spent the last 10 to 15 minutes painstakingly uh, calling us back over and over again because we were having some trouble connecting. So just know that you are getting uh, advice today from somebody who has moved heaven and earth in order <laughs> to hear your problems and tell you how to live your lives better. You know, I'm out here trying. You you definitely, definitely are. And I, I hope that the rest of the episode is easier than getting it set up was. Um, <laughs> But either way, I, I think we're going to have a lot of room to maneuver, and I'm looking forward to getting some cool mom perspective because sometimes, I don't know if you knew this, but sometimes I hear from people who do not have cool moms, <laughs> and they need to figure out how to live their there lives. There are so many uncool moms in this world. There are a lot of uncool everybody's. Yeah, and, true. Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm really, really excited about this. Um, would you mind reading our first letter? Yeah, sure. Um, The subject is work knows I'm sick, but not how sick. Dear Prudence, a few months ago, I started a new job that I love. It's a great fit. I feel valued at work for the first time ever, and they have been wonderfully accommodating with my chronic illnesses. However, I have tried to go light on health details, and as far as they are aware, I have debilitating migraines. This is true, but what concerns me more is that I also have relapsing remitting MS. Other than some offhand comments to my immediate supervisor, my employer doesn't know about this. I might miss a day for a bad migraine, but my last MS relapse came with such severe vertigo, I couldn't walk for a month and required the use of a cane for an additional two months after. I stand most of the day at this job. There was no warning. Had I been working, I would have simply woken up one morning completely unable to function. The relapse before that, I went temporarily blind in one eye. Obviously, this is something altogether different from a bad migraine. On the one hand, I do not want to bother my employee with this kind of, my employer, I'm sorry, with this kind of what-if possibility. It could be months or even years before my next relapse, and it might not be so severe. On the other hand, it doesn't feel right not to let them know until I possibly have a really bad flare-up that could put me out for weeks. Man, this one is, um, this is a lot to deal with. Yeah, that's heavy. Just the first thought off the top of my head is whether or not uh, the letter writer chooses to disclose, um, they are under absolutely no obligation to do so. Um, You do not owe it to your boss to disclose any chronic conditions that you may have. Um, There is no legal or professional requirement that you do so. You are completely free, especially if you are not currently experiencing a relapse, um, to keep your personal private medical information to yourself. Exactly. And it seems as though the sense of obligation comes from not wanting their employer to worry, but I would urge the writer to be more concerned about with what they need, um, more so than their employer's concern for them, um, be concerned with just their own well-being. And um, 
while disclosing may offer them some protections um, in the workplace, it's not necessarily guaranteed that an employer would be as gracious as gracious as they should be um, in terms of accommodations. So it's tough, you know. The it, it sounds like the writer feels valued at work. Um, so there's a good sign that they might be understanding, but I would just remind the writer that they're not um, obligated to do so at all. Yeah. And I think especially since you only started this job a few months ago, um, you should really be looking out for yourself here and just think, um, wait until you've been on the job a little bit longer and you have a stronger sense of how your employer deals with medical issues exactly. before asking yourself that question. And again, as as you yourself say, um, it's a what if scenario. Um, and, and you have that, you know, if you have human employees, anybody could become um, debilitatingly ill or injured anytime. So uh, it's not like there's a whole lot that they could do to plan for a possible relapse that may or may not affect your ability to work. Um, I don't think there'd be any upside for either you or the company. Um, and there would be a real potential downside in the sense that you might worry there might be some repercussions either directly or indirectly at work. So I think right now they know as much as they need to. Um, I hope you don't have any relapses uh, ever again. But if you ever do, then you can communicate um, to your boss that you are having an episode of MS and that you need to take medical leave. And that's that's it. I think I agree. The only thing that's left on my mind is I will sometimes hear from people who have um, especially like chronic illnesses or, or pain conditions that they're dealing with. And there's a lot of um, guilt that they'll write in about, right. about their employers and a sense of I am hurting my employer by being a person with a disability. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I, I just don't I, obviously I can't just say like just don't internalize like the the shame and judgment that we bring to people with chronic illnesses and disabilities in this society. But um, I, I do hope that this letter writer can free themselves of that a little bit or, or let that go or say like, hey, this is me being down on myself for having a medical condition. And this is not something I'm doing to my employer. I'm a person first and a worker second. I am not like hurting anybody by not sharing constantly that someday I may be ill. Right? Right. Absolutely. And that last line about saying it doesn't feel right to not let them know. I got the sense that it came out of a sense of guilt about um, inconveniencing their employer somehow by like needing to be well or needing to take time for themselves. And if you're impl- you're employing people, you have to um, accommodate the fact that people are people who need things sometimes. And it's par for the course and it's 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 their it's theirs to deal with um and it's not yours to carry yeah I, that's such a good point that that last line um the the implicit sentiment behind it is i think i owe my employer perfect health mm-hmm. and you just don't um health is not something that people have individual personal control over um uh, people who are not like constantly 100 percent um healthy all the time are not doing anything wrong or any less valuable what you owe your employer is when you are able to work to do your job to the best of your ability um, and when you are ill it is your job to take care of yourself because you're a person absolutely and like in capitalism it's not necessarily <laughs> um 
common for employers to be like overly concerned with their employees' health. It's very likely that they will just work you as much as they can work you to get what as much of what they need as they need it. And so um, you really have to advocate for yourself out here um, because they are absolutely going to advocate for themselves. Um, so you don't have to yes. worry about yeah. advocating for them, too. Yeah. So I'm really glad they've already been accommodating. Um, you deserve that. That's not like, wow, what an amazing employer. That's actually just like the bare minimum that any employer right. ought to be doing. Yeah. Um, so you can be glad that you have that, especially because so many places don't offer that. But don't feel like that means you have to be extra grateful. You don't. Right. They're just doing like right by you as they should. So today's theme is clearly just like issues in the workplace because uh, our next letter is about a casually racist coworker, which aren't they always <laughs> um, casual about it at work? Very businessy uh, racist. <laughs> oh God, yeah. So the subject line of this one is just how do I explain why I don't like my coworker who's casually racist? Dear Prudence, my coworker Gloria is the office superstar. She's friendly, funny, and flat out brilliant at her job. She also made several incredibly racist jokes within the first week I met her. The first and second time I froze out of shock. The third time I said that her use of slurs was offensive and inappropriate. Gloria was apologetic, and we've avoided each other since then. Several coworkers have noticed that I don't heap praise on Gloria. I don't put her down. But for example, I didn't agree when someone said she probably fights crime on the weekends. I try to move on to other subjects. A few people have asked me if I'm jealous of Gloria or dislike her. While it's not really any of their business, I'm worried that people will perceive me as being standoffish. If anything, I've struggled to feel like I've failed as an ally by not exposing Gloria's jokes. Faking admiration might be the best route, but I feel like I'd be compromising myself. Yikes. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I, um, there's a, there's a pretty interesting dynamic here where everyone has this sort of cult of personality around how great Gloria is. Right. And it's considered weird if you simply say, yes, she's good at her job. Let's get back to work. Exactly. Um, but I was just like really confused by the initial question of how do I explain why I don't like her? Because like, what is there to explain besides just saying that she's racist? I I'm confused about like, why it's an issue to speak up in the first place outside of you know not wanting to be disliked which i don't know i guess i'm a little bit baffled by the question itself um my yeah I, I, my only theory as to why that is is because it sounds like this person is still on their first couple of weeks at the job and uh, doesn't want to be isolated for not liking the person Right, and is kind of worried since everybody's already established that they love Gloria. Um, right. If I say, well, she said some racist stuff and I didn't like it, and people either don't believe me or say, well, you must have misunderstood, am I going to get you know dropped from important assignments, not copied on certain emails, right. frozen out of meetings? Right. Um, given that this letter writer has already experienced some pushback um, in conversation from not seeming to like Gloria enough. So I, I do understand that concern. Yeah. So I have another possible theory uh, that I think could be another or, or at least part of the explanation as, as for why the letter writer feels hesitant to say something fairly straightforward um, in addition to just being new on the job. And uh, I'm not sure that this is it, but it, it definitely did sort of leap out at me, which is mm -hmm. uh, they say, I worry that I would fail as an ally. Um, so 
my assumption from reading this is that both the letter writer and Gloria are white. Um, and oftentimes um, when white people hear other white people make racist comments, um, if we don't agree or if we don't like it, we might say something, but, but then there's that fear of, um, can I really call somebody else out? Like, is it really that bad? Right. Shouldn't we give her the benefit of the doubt? Um, wouldn't it be the worst possible thing if people thought she was racist? Because there's that um, underlying problem of uh, identification, right? Which is that, you know, we see more of ourselves in other white people than we do in people of color. So we'll be more inclined to think of, well, gosh, if it were me, if I were Gloria, I'd sure want a second chance or a third or a fourth chance. I wouldn't want to be embarrassed at work. I wouldn't want people to think of me as a racist. So we'll do a lot of work in terms of empathizing with somebody who has said something racist. Um, and and we do it too much um, to such an extent that we'll come up with lots and lots of reasons to only push back a little bit, maybe to make a face but not speak up or maybe to say something really gentle and then leave it at that. Does that does that sound plausible? Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, and the other thing that I'm I'm getting is that I mean, I find it hard to believe that Gloria was like one time casually racist around this new em employee um, I feel like everyone in the office has to already know and be okay with it um, to some to some extent, um, and that uh, the writer might sense that and be aware of that and be concerned about being uh, a pariah or going against the culture of the workplace already. But to me, it feels like I mean, I'm already a little bit concerned about the term ally because I feel like it it implies a, a separateness that protects one's own interests as well. You know, you can like team up mm -hmm. against with with who it is that you're concerned with protecting when it benefits you and protect your own little country when it doesn't. Um, and I feel like the writer is aware of the fact that they're not doing what they should be doing if that's their value system, um, but also doesn't want to let go of those personal benefits. Um, and it's hard to hold those two things in tandem, but I think if, if you <laughs> want to show up, you have to show up. Or if you want to think of yourself as a person who shows up, you have to show up. Um, because, you, you know, she says she's, she feels like she's, compromising herself but she's really compromising the well-being of other people yeah and i think it you know it's worth noting um that this happened three times in the first week oh wow <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean like yeah. gloria is not i i would actually go so far as to say gloria is not casually racist um gloria is professionally racist yeah she's racist a lot on the job and i, I think one of the reasons letter writer that she said those things to you three times in the first week is on some level she wanted to let you know i'm really fucking racist um this is something that you should know about me you're gonna need to uh approve of it laugh along with it get on board with it um help me participate in racism in the way that i want to at work um and so uh, like I, I i this was not like a gosh maybe it was just one time maybe it was an accident maybe she was trying to think of a different word um this is you know significant and so i think you know it's one thing to have said that's offensive and inappropriate. I'm glad that you said that to Gloria. Um, 
you know, I, I don't think you will be able to avoid each other indefinitely. Um, I, I think it's good that you are not um, joining others in uh, when they heap praise upon her. Um, if somebody's asking you at work and you are both anxious about being frozen out and also wanting to say something truthful, um, I think keeping it short um, and just say, yep, you know, she said a couple of really racist things my first week here. Um, we had a challenge around that. I told her to stop doing it. So far she has, but I'm not comfortable talking about her fighting crime. Um, that would be a pretty uh, appropriate and professional thing to say. That's not like going around um, backbiting or uh, uh, unnecessarily like drawing attention to something. I think that that would be something that you could say. Yeah, I agree with you about... Um about making three comments in one week as a sign of uh, generally testing the waters and trying to feel feel you out. Um, I feel like it it shows poor professional boundaries. And when I see people who tend to test boundaries, I mean, they test them. Um, and each of those jokes was a test. And you, you, failed, you passed them, I think, interpersonally. But if you want to test your own values, you, you'd have to address it um, with others. And I know that it's difficult to do so, but that's the work, right? You, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable sometimes. Um, and you already are uncomfortable. Like, right. Yeah. Th there's enough, there's enough of this cult of personality around Gloria that within your first couple of weeks on the job, several of your coworkers have also said like, hey, you don't seem to adore Gloria. What's up with that? Which right. suggests to me that this, this might not be a really healthy workplace yeah and it's it's okay to uh turn some of that discomfort onto other people like you know instead of carrying it around to protect somebody who's doing something that you disagree with and then you know internalizing all of your negative feelings surrounding it to yourself you know questioning whether you are what you say you are or you believe what you say you believe or feeling like you're failing somehow um, make make them uncomfortable. It's okay if they're uncomfortable. And if uh, they make you uncomfortable for making them uncomfortable, it won't be much different than it already is. Um, going into a place every day that you feel compromises your values um, and effectively feeling, you know, like you can't stand up for what you believe in. Yeah, and this is just... You're you're in a real position of strength here, right? Like this is simply, she said three really racist things to me in my first week. I wasn't comfortable with it. I hope she stops. That's a pretty right. defensible position. Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. if somebody kind of tries to push back and says, I'm sure she didn't mean it like that, then you can say, no, it was very clear that she did. Yeah. Um, you don't have to get into an argument about her intentions um, or whether or not she's a good person. You can simply say, those three comments made me very uncomfortable and I hope she stops. That can kind of just be the limit to which you want to discuss it at work. And then if somebody wants to get really drawn back and forth into something, you can just say, like, I I'm going to get back to work. Like, you don't have to get involved in a referendum on whether or not somebody else is racist. You can simply say, here's what she said. Here's how I felt. I hope she stops. Right. Um, and and I, that, that last line of faking admiration might be the best route. It's not the best route. It's That's the not. Way to make it's sure. really not. Yeah. <laughs> That's a way to make sure that nothing changes. Um, Absolutely. And I hope that, uh, you know, you're saying something um, enables other people to say, 
either that they also will push back against her when she says those things or or a change within themselves. I think that that would be good for this workplace. Um, And if all that happens is you find out that you work with a bunch of like open, unrepentant racists who like making (laughs) racist jokes on the clock, good to know now so that you can look for a job elsewhere. Right. (sighs) All right. So this next one is a lot. And I'm yeah. so glad uh, that you told me in your bio that you are going to bring some cool mom energy to this because <laughs> I think that that is called for here. Would you read the next letter? Sure. My son was threatened by the kid he bullied. Dear Prudence, my son Taylor and his friends bullied Skylar, the son of a beloved local personality. What Taylor did was wrong and he's been punished. My husband and I are sending him to a counselor. Skylar's dad discussed how Skylar was bullied on his widely followed social media profile. I don't blame him at all. The responses to those posts were mostly supportive, but more than a handful advocated violence against Taylor. Some adults wanted to beat him and give him a taste of his own medicine. My husband and I were disturbed, but also figured that there was a low risk of Taylor actually being harmed. Then Skylar told Taylor that his dad's fans were going to hunt him down. According to Taylor, Skylar's dad will tell those fans where to find him, Taylor, if he is ever mean to Skylar or anyone else again. I don't expect Skylar or his dad to like or forgive Taylor. I was bullied, and it's a wounding experience. But I want to get to the bottom of this and give my son, who's young and frightened, a chance to grow into a better person. My husband is a lot more angry and wanted to call Skylar's dad directly, but I think it's better for the school to be a mediator. Do you have any advice about how we should approach this? As the mother of a child who bullied, I feel as if people will condemn me for being angry about this, too. Whew. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to this. Um, first things first, I would say at that last line, uh, feeling as if people will condemn you for being angry about this. Oh, well, like you're... Your general job as a mother is to be protective of your child, and it's only natural to feel that way and to want to protect your child from something that's pretty scary. Um, So to that, I say, oh, well, let them be angry. Um, You have a right to feel protective and frustrated um, at a lot of adults who seem to be acting out. Yeah. Yeah, it's – Absolutely not okay for a bunch of adults to be threatening and um, wanting to beat your child and give him a taste of his own medicine. Yeah, the, the, there are a lot of adults in like the comments of a blog post talking about finding kids who bullied the child of someone you don't know personally um, and, and wanting to beat those kids up. I mean, that is just so clearly they need to work out their own issues with a therapist. That has, absolutely. They need to which, go to which, By the way, does not mean that like they would never do anything outrageous. I'm just so sorry that that's happening. Like that clearly is so not like... Yes, that is an appropriate response to a right. child who bullies another child. Like, that's awful. Right. And um, with, like, the threatening of doxing and everything, you know, your your child is a child and you have to advocate for him. And I understand the impulse to let bygones be bygones and just kind of let it die out. But um, I do feel like this threat is an, is a valid one to be concerned about and to want to address. Um how best to do it is tricky. Yeah. So it it sounds like the kind of question before this letter writer right now is that she and her husband are hoping um, that Skylar's dad will take these posts down. 
um, in order mm-hmm. to minimize the sort of public attempts to find Doc's shame, possibly hurt her son, which I think is reasonable. Um, yeah, and the absolutely. question is sort of, do we go through the school or do we ask him directly? Um, and just given how high the feelings seem to be running in this situation, I, I think if the school has thus far been handling it reasonably well, um, that might be a good idea is to go to the school and say, hey, we have a request um, for you know the following reasons. We're hoping that Skylar's dad would take some of these posts down um, because we're concerned about these adults in the comments saying that they want to find and hurt our son. Um, while we are in no way trying to say that, uh, you know, what Taylor did was anything other than wrong. And we really, really, really are committed to, you know, punishing him and and helping him change. And we're deeply sorry for this, like, hurt that your son has experienced. Um, This would also be really mutually a good thing. Um, Does that make sense? Do you think that that that's the way to go? Would you would you call the school? Would you call the dad? What would be your stance there? It absolutely depends on how the school was handling it, because I know that sometimes administrations can make things a little bit um more tricky and that the father might not respond well to having another authority, but it also seems like, um, I don't, I don't want to make assumptions, but it seems like bringing the issue to a larger audience signals some tendency to be a little bit reactive. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think it, it would be helpful to have a third party there, whether that's the school or not, I'm not, I'm not sure about because it might bring repercussions back on them. And if you want to avoid further conflict, um, it might that might not be a good way to do so. Um, But I would suggest regardless, um, having some kind of conversation. I'm sorry, does the does it say that they want them to take it down or it feels like it's implied um, because I want to get to the bottom of this. Um, and my husband is a lot more angry and wants to call Skylar's dad directly. Um, so it's possible that they want the post to be taken down. It's possible they want him to do or say something um, like to to not try to hunt down this child. Um, it's possible the husband is just angry and wants to yell. It's a little unclear, but it seemed to me like that was at least one possibility that's that they're considering right, right. now. Because um, right. there is also the, you know... Um, you do want to take stuff like this seriously, but you also like if 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 no really specific um, claims have been made, if you have not noticed anyone like showing up at the school, you also have the option of, um, you know, letting those posts be um, and focusing instead on looking after your kid and helping to figure out like why he was doing this for so long and whether or not he really understands like the harm that he caused right. without without trying to go back and and do anything about the blog post. Although, again, that that would be really painful to know that those were up for like a beloved local personality uh, right. about your kid. Yeah, and if anything, I think that Skylar's dad needs to have a conversation conversation with Skylar or be made aware of the fact that Skylar is using his dad's platform to threaten Taylor in a real way. Yeah, and that's part of what's so hard about this is it's like Skylar should not be doing that, even though he's already been through so much. Um, and it's it's possible he feels like this is the only way that he can way to establish himself. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this is this is really hard. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think going, you know, continuing to do mediation with the school and just saying like, um, you know, 
uh, here's what we have heard thus far, and we we think there needs to be like more supervision or making sure that the the guy the kids aren't close to one another, like either in the classroom or or elsewhere, and maybe helping to figure out like ways in which you can teach both of the kids like de-escalation. Right. And I think, I mean, I completely understand the impulse of Skylar's parent to take it to a public platform, you know, when you feel like you've experienced some injustice and and Skylar absolutely did experience some injustice. Um, it's, it's natural to want to turn to your community about that. But I do think that with children, sometimes the best approach is to keep things intimate, um, in terms of just working it out between families, maybe going to the school, but the attention of all of these adults with like clear grudges and vendettas is is not beneficial to either party um, in this instance. Right. It's not teaching Skylar how to healthily handle um, experiencing pain. And it's, it's, it seems generally traumatizing to Taylor. I mean, I've gotten death threats and, um, had angry emails and the the internet onslaught is a scary thing um, for a a child, especially. Right. And I I, like, that's gotta be painful for the the letter writer too. Just that sense of like wanting to help her kid. And then also thinking like, man, I got bullied as a child and like, I'd maybe know how to handle it if my kid was getting bullied, but I was not prepared um, for the for the other thing to be true, like I was not right. ready for my kid to be bullying somebody else, and and that's hard. But so yeah, absolutely. Like, do you have the right to um, want adults not to get involved in this? Of course, absolutely. Will some people um, perhaps unfairly judge you simply for being your kid's mother? Maybe I would not worry too much about that. I would keep your tone always as like calm and civil as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, don't try to take on more responsibility than you need to. Don't give in to a desire to hold a grudge yourself in return. I do think, again, depending on the kid's age, um, you know, if Skylar said, my dad's fans are going to hunt you down, they'll they'll find you if you ever mean to me again, that may just be childlike hyperbole. Right, um, absolutely. I, I don't know that that's necessarily something that his dad is saying so much as like when you are a kid and you are hurt at school, of course, you're going to want to say, well, I've got somebody in my corner and they're going to come after you. So exactly. I don't think you have to take that as a credible threat. Mm-hmm. And and good luck because this is a lot to untangle and it's going to take some time and it's probably going to have some lasting effects. Um, and I hope the counselor is really helpful. I agree. I think that's a really good thing that you're doing as well. I think so too, and at least it's summer now, so that everybody can take a couple. Yes, of months, yeah, um, it'll it'll be gone by <laughs> by September. I hope so. I can't make any promises, but <laughs> right. I do. It won't feel so fresh, um, which I think will be good. This next letter. Oh God, <laughs> I don't publish a lot of letters like this one, despite sometimes getting letters like this one. In part because. They don't always feel super credible, and I'm perfectly willing to concede that this may be a person having a fun. But um, I I wanted to include it just because they're so clearly not being honest with themselves. Like, at one point, they say, I could really marry this person. And then two sentences later, obviously, we're not going to get married. Um, And I love it when that happens. Yeah. I can relate to patently lying to myself about my own motivations or patently or what have you. (laughs) Anyways, I think it's my turn to read it. So uh, I'm just going to jump right in. The subject of this letter is Cousin Hookup. (laughs) Dear Prudence, I grew up overseas from the rest of my family. 
We'd interact every few years, but only for a few days at a time. With the advent of social media, one of my cousins, our mothers or sisters, has come back into contact with me. We're still thousands of miles apart, but it's a genuine joy to interact with her. We share vices, idiosyncrasies? I forgot how to say that word. We (laughs) share vices, idiosyncrasies, half-formed memories of brief childhood interactions. Our similarities are eerie. If she wasn't my cousin, I'd have proposed. And I understand and am aware of the concept of genetic sexual attraction. And still, it's a weird fever when we're together and we do our damnedest to laughingly dismiss the casual banter when it's evident that we're flirting. I am not looking for absolution to embark upon some relationship with my mother's sister's daughter. I don't want to marry her. I don't want to have children with her. We are both well-educated professionals who have known each other for decades. But holy Moses, it's more than evident we want to have sex. Can I have sex with my first cousin? I guess I want permission. I don't think it'll go anywhere romantically. But yeah, if I don't do it, I'm going to be thinking about it. <laughs> okay. You just kind of like feel the sexual <laughs> frenzy taking over by the, like right. just those choppy sentences. Look, right. uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> should I? I don't know. I can't. I want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you clearly want to, letter writer. Uh-huh. Um, I do love, too, by the way, the, the letter writer says our similarities are eerie. They're not eerie. You guys are related. Like yeah. your moms are sisters. You know, you it's just family, family history. <laughs> you have half-formed memories. She completes yeah. your memories because she was there because you guys are related. <laughs> yeah, and you have idiosyncrasies because you are genetically related and were raised by people who were raised together. Like again, oh my god, I don't want to diminish the uh, joy of your connection, but it's not this like, what are the odds? The odds are like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of cousins have stuff in common. Okay. Um, well, if you want, I mean, you say you guess you want permission. You can only really get permission from your cousin <laughs> yeah. to do it. I can't tell you that you can. Um, but if you have your cousin's permission, I guess you can do what you want. Just, like, be prepared if you ever play Never Have I Ever to be the one who, like, had sex with their cousin. Yeah, I mean, a cousin's a cousin. It's not a sibling. Um, right. There are plenty <laughs> of countries and states where cousin marriage is legal. People used to do it a lot um, in the states and now they do it less but it's not um you know like i would not put it in the exact same category as like i want to marry my twin um so take you know take that as whatever you need letter writer um but i will say this uh i think you need to be a little more honest with yourself right now because it kind of feels like what you are implying here is like look i just want to have sex with her the implication being, if I can just get this out of my system, we're not going to have this tension anymore because we're not going to get married. Uh, obviously, it would be stupid to get romantically involved, but you you kind of sound like you're in love with her. Yeah, it's a genuine joy to interact with her. Um, yeah, it's a weird fever. You said you'd have proposed if she wasn't your cousin. <laughs> yeah, so... Don't stir the pot. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you're saying all that and then you're like, look, I don't want to marry her or have kids... I don't think you're being honest with yourself. I think if you if you were to have sex with her, you would probably want to have sex with her a lot. Um, and you would probably want to do more than just have sex and totally ignore her personality. I think you would want to be in some sort of a relationship. And one of the many reasons that cousin relationships are fraught is because if things don't work out, you still are related. Right. 
And the other thing is, is if you don't wind up uh, wanting to marry her or you do marry somebody else or get serious with somebody else, that's a big um, skeleton to have. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, let's say your cousin's at your wedding and there's just some implications that um, you two have some history and like, how will that go over? You know, think about it's it's kind of like a threshold that you're walking through. Like now you're a person who doesn't have sex with their cousin. And if you do, then you will be mm-hmm. a person who has done that. Yes. And um, it will have repercussions on the rest right. of your life. Yeah, it'll um, echo a little. Like the odds that, let's say, she feels the same way. She not only feels the same way, she uncomplicatedly wants to have sex with you. Because that's a big leap, right? Yeah, like, yeah. She may share your attraction and yet have a much stronger sense of never will I ever cross this line. Right. Um, so even speaking out loud what has previously been a, a mere suggestion is a big step. Um, and the potential for things to go wrong are a lot. She might freak out. Um, you guys might sleep together and then fall in love and want to tell your family. You guys might sleep together and then have a really weird tortured relationship and break up and then feel like uncomfortable exes around each other and can never say anything to your family for the rest of your lives about it. And everyone's always like, why are you guys so weird every couple of years when you run into each other? Um, you guys may decide you want to be together. Tell your moms and your moms might say very upsetting things and right. not support it and not ever want to talk to you again. And so. All this is this is the most complicated person you could want to have sex with, um, <laughs> pretty much. So yeah, like top three at least. Top three at least. Um, <laughs> at least. So the idea that this could be a potentially consequence-free choice that you guys could just keep to yourself, scratch the itch, no harm, no foul, then go back to being friendly cousins, I think is a fantasy that you need to let go of. Um, and you say, if I don't do it, I'm going to be thinking about it. That's fine. It's okay to think about it. Yeah. Like, the implication is, like, surely I could not be expected to live while also being profoundly attracted to my cousin. And it's like, no, you could just, you you could have kind of a sexual and romantic fixation on your cousin and not do anything about that. And sometimes, you know, uh, spend some intimate time with yourself thinking about her and your joyful, (laughs) fevered interactions. That is an option. It's perfectly okay to keep things as a fantasy, too. Like, a lot of things lose their allure when they're not in your head. And this is probably one of those things. Um, it's it's not going to uh, be all, like, ecstasy. There's no way for this not to go, <laughs> not, not to be at least partly awful. Yeah, and she's thousands of miles away. So, like, at, what are you going to do? Fly across the world and bang it out once and then just go back to your life? Like, I just, right. I hate to say it, letter writer, I don't think you've thought through fucking your cousin very thoroughly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you've thought through it very thoroughly. Like, I'm sure you know exactly yeah. how you would do it. Right. But I don't think that you have adequately considered it from all angles. Yeah, I don't so. think kids in marriage are like the worst possible concern on this list of concerns. Yeah, you have a couple <laughs> of other things to worry about before yes. you get to that. So um, I would say, letter writer, think a little harder about fucking your cousin uh, and then get back to us uh, with <laughs> a more uh, coherent plan. Um, and only then will I be willing to potentially grant permission to you. So please send us a follow up once you have dedicated some more thought to the subject. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad That's, to hear that. Sounds like a good a good uh, game plan. Baby steps. Great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I want uh, bullet points from this letter writer. All right. 
Uh, you take this next letter. I've, I've heard enough of my own voice for a few minutes. <laughs> the subject is stepfather. Dear Prudence, my mother died when I was 13. My father had been friends with Ben for over 20 years. Recently, my father has come out as gay and is officially together with Ben. Looking back, it is more than obvious that my mother was the teenage beard, 19 when they married. Ben and my father used to hide their affair in the tiny southern town they lived in. My sisters are all happy and pushing for Grandpa Ben with their kids and planning the wedding. I'm more conflicted about this. I vividly remember my mother's death and how much she clung to my father and their mutual faith. She talked to me about how she and my father were meant to be. I can't reconcile the experience of my mother and her marriage with the truth she was protective camouflage for the affair my father and Ben had. She died thinking my father was the love of her life and it was a lie. I have tried to bring this up with my father, only to be shut down brutally. Why would I bring this up? Why do I want to hurt Ben? Your mother is dead and I am allowed to move on. I feel like I am being edged out of my family here. Am I homophobic? Unreasonable? Sometimes I think I'm the only one who remembers my mother at all. Um, I really felt for this letter writer. That's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. Um, it's difficult because you say when you try to approach the subject, you're uh, being shut down. And it's hard to feel like you're the only one still grieving and not moving forward. My advice would be to consider that sometimes it, when grieving especially, it feels like Offering up bad feelings as tribute um, is a a way to keep someone's memory alive. Um, but I would consider what your whether or not that is doing service to your mother's memory. If that is your ultimate intent, um, consider whether or not. Uh, this conflict is, it, it's perfectly valid to, to feel upset about this. And, um, I don't think that being uncomfortable means that you're homophobic. I don't think that those two things need to be tied together at all. Right. Um, right. This person has been a figure in your life and now this person's role is shifting and it makes you feel a little bit betrayed, probably that you didn't know this, um, one thing I would say, though, is that if your mother passed when you were 13, um, consider how much insight you truly had into the inner workings of your parents' marriage and relationship. Mm. They can be meant to be for one another, not necessarily in the sense that you imagined it, and they could have had been faithful to one another, not necessarily in the sense that you imagined it. Um there's a possibility that your mom did know. There's a possibility that she would have given him her blessing. There's a possibility that he could still be the love of her life. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything was a lie. Um, there's a lot of nuance in this situation that I would be really careful not to project feelings of grief and um uh betrayal onto uh your your mother you know i would look i would look more into how you're feeling necessarily than in terms of how your how you feel about how your mom felt right and i think that's really really helpful just because again 
that's such an intense time to have lost your mother. Right. And I don't mean in any way to suggest that this letter writer just needs to get over that. Um, but I do think it may be useful to remember, you know, if your mother died thinking that your father was the love of her life, I don't think you need to think that was all a lie. He only married her so that he could be with Ben. Um, it, it's, it is certainly possible, even likely, that he was also seeing Ben while he was married to your mother, but that does not mean that that's why he married her. It doesn't right. mean that he did not love her. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, if he if he treated her well and they were happy together and that was real and meaningful, um, and he was also closeted in a tiny southern town, um, that's complicated. And of course, it's okay for you to feel some pain about this idea of, and now my dad just gets to be with somebody that he has loved this whole time. And my mother is dead. And I worry that no one else remembers her. Right. Of course, that makes sense. But but I don't think you have to think this was all a camouflage. It was all a fiction. He never cared for her. He's glad she's dead. Um, it's, you know, I don't think that that needs to be the version of events that enables you to still feel protective of and care for your mother. Right. I, I, again, that said, they were 19 when they got married, um, or she was 19 when they got married. I don't know how much older your father was, if they were the same age or, or what. Um, there's a lot here. And that, like, again, just because I, I hope that might prove helpful to you, that does not mean that you have to just say, because my dad's gay, because being gay is hard in a small southern town, um, you know, anything that he does, it's my job to just feel great about. But I, I do think, you know, it will be helpful to talk through some of this in therapy, maybe before mm -hmm. bringing it to your dad. Right. Um because a lot of these feelings are just going to be something you need to work through um, in yourself. And some of this involves speculation about your parents' marriage, which you just you saw from a very specific perspective as their child. You weren't in the middle of that. Um, and you don't say, like, he was really cold to her. He was really callous. Um, he ignored her all the time, was always, like, packing off and leaving with Ben. Um, I think it sounds like she found real joy and real solace and, and love in their marriage. And I think that's real. Absolutely. Um, so I think it might be helpful to talk to a therapist first and then, you know, to maybe later say to your dad, hey, I'd love to try this again. Um, I'm bringing this up because it has me thinking a lot about my childhood and my mom, who I lost at a really formative age and who I love. I know you also loved her. I'm not bringing this up because I want to spoil your joy now or because I don't like Ben or because I want to hurt him. Um, I want to talk about this with you because you're my father and she was my mother. And this was an important part of how I became the person that I am today. And I have some feelings and some questions that I would love to be able to talk to you about. Um, and I hope that you can hear them um, as questions and feelings and not as threats or attempts to make you feel bad about the good life that you have now. If that's possible, I want to be available for that. I hope you could be too. Um, if not, I will not force you to have this conversation, um, but I, I hope you are. I hope you are available. And, you know, if his response to that is still just, no, we're never going to talk about this. The past is the past. I, I think that's kind of the the limit to what you can, that may also limit some of your future closeness, but I think that also may be a perspective you can take that will help your dad feel like you're not saying like, hey, stop being happy. I need to relitigate your marriage from, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I, I want to punish you for the past. Um, uh, I hope he could hear that and respond to that well. Right. I think if you take the time to uh, figure out what underlining feelings you're having about 
your own childhood, how this it impacts your your perception of your life up until this point, um, and talk to him from a place of of uh, you know vulnerability um, in terms of you, uh, and it gives him a different angle to be receptive towards, um, as opposed to discussing things that I think a lot of parents tend to keep private from their children. Um, there are aspects that my kids will never know about my husband and I, and that's on purpose. Um, and it might be why your father's not willing to talk. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I'd encourage the literator to spend some time with in therapy is sometimes I think I'm the only one who remembers my mother. Yeah. Cause there's so much there, there. I, and I don't know, um, if that's because your other siblings were different ages when your mother died. Um, if, if they never ever talk about her and that makes you feel left out, um, if they don't grieve in the same way that you did and you feel like if they don't grieve like you, then they must not care. Um, I would just encourage you to spend some time with that in therapy and asking your siblings questions that aren't necessarily like, why aren't you sad or get sadder, but sort of like, hey, sometimes I feel like I spend a lot of time thinking about mom and I feel really sad. Um, do you ever feel that way? Like to invite them to share the things they feel with you rather than to say, hey, I think I'm the only one who cared about our mother. Um, right. And that that may potentially help you to realize that I'm willing to bet, like unless your siblings are just really terrible people, <laughs> that they do remember your mother and um, they might not grieve her in the same way that you do, but that doesn't mean they're just like, oh yeah, that meant nothing to me, totally fine, who cares? Right. But that's a lot. Yeah. So just I, I guess my big answer is just this is really complicated and messy. I hope <laughs> you can have different kinds of conversations in the future. You should go to therapy. But your basic question, are you being homophobic? No. Unreasonable? <laughs> Maybe in some ways, but not in others. Um, right. And certainly your general approach, which is just I feel complicated and sad, that is 100% understandable. And I Sounds get accurate. Yeah. yeah. Sounds appropriate for the situation. Yeah. All right, this last one, we're tying a couple of different threads together. We're going back into the workplace, um, <laughs> back into just some nonsense. Um, imagine how efficient we would all be at work if we did not um, waste time making racist jokes and trying to rope people into a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme. Oh, God, case. I know. Yeah. It would be great. Um, so the subject is, as you might guess, multi-level marketing coworker <laughs> targeting a recent immigrant. Dear Prudence, in a few weeks, I'll finish my summer job and head back to college. I've been a seasonal sales associate at an apartment store. Over the past few weeks, I've observed Jackie, one of the full-time employees, convincing Amal, a stalker and fitting room attendant, to join her multi-level marketing team. Amal recently immigrated to the United States. She's pretty shy and doesn't speak much English. Although most MLM companies seem sketchy, I did some research and Jackie's seems especially predatory. This weekend, I heard Jackie encouraging Amal to get a credit card so she could purchase the MLM products. I'm not friends with them all, and I don't want to assume that she needs rescuing. But Jackie's behavior seems really underhanded. She's a top sales associate and is good friends with the store managers. So if she finds out I spoke to them all, it might affect my getting a reference or getting rehired. What, if anything, should I do? I I think that you should save them all. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, you're going back to college. You're almost done with your summer job. If the worst comes to pass and you don't get a reference from working at a department store over the summer or you don't get hired back at this particular department store, I don't think that it does not sound like that is going to like cast a pall over your future. So you have very right. little to lose here. Right. The stakes aren't super high for you and they're pretty high for them all. I mean, that can um, devastate a person who doesn't have resources to fall back on. Um, and being recently immigrated, I would assume that they don't. Um, it it just, you have to at least give a warning. Um, yep. Because it's, it's, it's predatory and it's, just, it's horribly predatory. Yeah. That's ex- like, that's exactly the things you've noticed about them all are exactly why Jackie is trying to tell her to take out credit cards so that she can be part of this predatory business. Right. Like, you are not misreading this. She is going after them all because she thinks that them all is defenseless um, and and does not have the like resources um, to be able to investigate this company. Yeah. And if a person is trying to build a foundation or establish a new foundation in a new country, a time like this is the worst possible time to get caught up in something like that. Especially if Jackie is potentially either implicitly or explicitly making it sound like Amal's job at this department store is dependent on her helping Jackie out with this. Right. Which I would not post past Jackie at all. Yeah, because if you feel like Jackie would intervene in your ability to get rehired or get a reference or sabotage you in some way for just telling someone to politely say no to something that they're not obligated to do, um, the implications for... A mall might seem even more imposing um, if Jackie is the type of person, one, if, she, if Jackie's the type of person who uh, tries to rope people into multi-level marketing schemes, um, it's likely that Jackie is the type of person who would retaliate. Um, and I think yeah. that you have an opportunity to defend somebody who needs defending at a time where it won't really cost you very much at all because there are so many department stores. Yes. Um, and, yeah, and you're going back to college, yeah. um, presumably, to to put yourself on a different career path. So I think it makes the most sense to speak directly to Amal. If you're already concerned that management would 100% back up Jackie, then I think it makes sense to at least start with Amal and only go to um, management as a last resort. Right. Um, but just to find a time when you two can talk and just say, hey – um, I've overheard Jackie saying these things to you. Um, I hope she's not pressuring you. Um, I want you to know that these kinds of companies um, take advantage of their workers. They ask you to spend a lot of money with no guarantee of getting any money back. And if you ever need somebody to help you out, if Jackie is pressuring you, please let me know. I would be happy to help. Yeah, that's the right thing to do. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's just... That's just the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you overhear Jackie talking about her multi-level marketing scam, um, go ahead and say that that is a scam. (laughs) Go ahead and say those companies are really predatory and they, you know, are based upon taking advantage of people with not a lot of money, but a lot of desperation. Um, And I'm really sorry to hear that you associate yourself with that. Right. Again, like you're going to be done with this job in a few weeks. You're going back to college. You stand to lose very, very little. Go ahead and take that stand. You will feel so much better about yourself than if you kind of like quietly slink out the back door and have this right. vague worry in the back of your head that Jackie took financial advantage of this person. 
Yeah, you have a rare opportunity not to have to tiptoe around anything. And that's a coveted position in the workplace, it seems, after the letters that we've read today. So I take tell you it. what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I, I just cannot imagine, like, what goes through someone's head when they think, ooh, I'm going to, like, pull aside somebody at work. I myself am a full-time employee. They are like a recent immigrant who doesn't speak a lot of English, doesn't have a lot of friends, um, may think of me as management already and try to encourage them to take out credit cards to sell, what, essential oils? Like Wrapping your of, belly in plastic wrap. <laughs> oh, God. Flat tummy tea. Just yes. something that Lemon is- Lemon water. <laughs> at, at best, nothing. And at worst, actively harmful and always expensive. Full um, of lead. Ugh, <laughs> just- Hokum. Hokum is what it is. <laughs> and um, yeah, Jackie is, I hope Jackie eventually has to answer for this financial predation because that's really, really dark and awful and she right. should not do it. And, uh, you know, that's it. I guess the theme of this week is don't rope people into your pyramid schemes at work. Um, don't be <laughs> super racist at work. Don't enable racism at work. Think carefully before you have sex with your cousin. <laughs> the wild um, card. The, the real wild card. Um, uh, man, yeah, there was just so much going on today. Everyone is is in a pickle. Yeah. All, like, very complicated, too. Yeah, I think I think the one that's Except not complicated the is yeah, the cousin, no. just because it's like, yeah, you can have, like, it is fine to have passionate romantic and sexual feelings for someone and not do anything about it when you know it's a pretty bad idea like that's never killed anyone blue balls are not fatal sorry right. for assuming that the letter writer yeah anyways <laughs> you will be fine if you desire your cousin and yet do not consummate that desire it will probably make you into a you know wonderful artist or something it's like running a marathon. You'll just like feel so much more disciplined and powerful and, you know, use this as a as a personal development opportunity. Yeah. You know, how like mile 17, everyone becomes deeply aroused by thoughts of their cousins. Um, Trials and tribulations. Training. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Dominique, thank you so much for coming on the show and for bearing with the many, many sound issues and also that ice cream truck. It was my pleasure. I was glad to avoid the ice cream man. He's my nemesis. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, take care. Uh, stay cool in the heat and uh, come back on the show sometime. Great. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music is composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.